Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Good morning, all of you. Looking fantastic from up here. Uh, thank you for those smiles, even behind the masks. Uh, it's really good to see you. If you're watching us live from home, Karibu, visit us in person and get to see what's happening. You know, there are people that I was seeing for the very first time since we uh, started meeting in person. Uh, so I was telling them, you know, as you exit to your right, there is a visitor stand you can pass by there. And, uh, you know, there is an amazing team that will be waiting for you. Um, Winnie mentioned of uh, Pastor Elizabeth, who lost the son. Uh, pastor Elizabeth is actually our first children's pastor here at Karura. So please join with the family. They are planning to have a memorial service on Wednesday. Wednesday at Mamlaka Chapel across the bypass um, from 10 a.m. I think uh, you can uh, plan to join with the family in this time. I hope you had a fantastic week just reading the book of Philippians. Did you, did you get to read chapter 2? Yeah? Okay, if you read, uh, just raise up your hand. Let's see. Okay, okay. Sita washtaki kwa mungu waki. Uh, all right, but uh, yeah, it's, it's actually nice when you read uh, the chapter before we come to listen uh, to the sermon. Uh, but let me do, quick, do a quick recap of the general outline of, um, of the book of Philippians. All right, so we said, um, if I were to rename uh, or give... give uh, this series, the title, I would call it Rejoice, because I see Philippians as a happy book. Um, Paul is talking of joy, yet he's in chains in prison. So chapter one, it tells us about joy in living for Christ. And we saw that uh, in chapter one, Paul writes and says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul here is saying is, uh, Christ is my life. Like there, I do not have anything else or anyone else. Christ is my life. Then chapter two, what we are looking at today is uh, Christ is my model. You know, Christ is a person that I should emulate and follow through. You know, and it starts with the right attitude, joy in serving Christ in unity. Starts with the right attitude, maintained through the right theology, and is encouraged through the right model. So Christ is my model. Uh, Paul writes in verse um, chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in, warped, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then chapter 3 is about joy in knowing Christ. You know, the outline of the chapter is there is a warning, there is a testimony, there is a goal, and there is a command. And Paul is writing and saying, Christ is my goal. Uh, verse 13 and 14 says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then chapter 4, we will be seeing joy in resting in Christ. Okay, the outline has unity, peace, and Paul's final predictions uh, of, of the chapter. And what Paul is saying is, Christ is my contentment. You know, he writes verse uh, 11 and, and says, Know that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
So you can see how Christ is central to the entire book of Philippians. Chapter 1, Christ is my life. Chapter 2, Christ is my model. Chapter 3, Christ is my goal. And chapter 4, Christ is my contentment. So today, let's look at chapter 2. And there are two things that I hope you will see from this chapter. The first thing that you will see is unity. Unity in the church or unity in serving. And the second thing you will see is humility. Humility in serving. Humility while serving. And then there are three models that I hope you can um, aspire to follow. And the first model that we see in this chapter is Jesus Christ. The second one is Timothy. And the third one is Epaphroditus. A reminder that uh, the church at Philippi was truly a dream church uh, for Paul. This is a church that when we compare to the rest was really outstanding in many ways. In most of these other churches, um, most of them had fallen to apostasy or they were challenging Paul's authority. Some of them had fallen into legalism. Yet these are not things that we see in the church at Philippi. But even in this dream church, there seems to be a potential problem coming up. And the problem is division. There seems to be some people who are disagreeing. And we will see that when we get to chapter 4. The people disagreeing was a lady called Udia and another called uh, Sintiki. Now, even in a perfect church, this should tell us, um, there are issues. Because you know what? They, they, there's no perfect church. I know many times we see churches online and we, yeah, want to belong to this church. Or we visit a, an event, go attend an event, and we're like, this is such a beautiful church. This is where I want to belong. And then you're like, yeah, I finally found a church. Then in a few weeks, you realize, Allah, things are totally different to ground, you know, and it's not the way you thought it would be. Now, you can take this to the bank. I'm sure Watakupe alone with this statement. You will never find a perfect church. Never. As long as we are on this earth, you will never find a perfect church. All churches struggle in a way. So please, if you're new here, we are seeking to become Christ-like disciples engaging the world. So please bear with us. We are in the process of continually being fixed by Jesus. He's the one working in our lives. We are not a perfect church. And we hope that you can just commit yourself and submit yourself to Christ as we seek to become because none of us is there yet. So if you know of a perfect church that you're planning to join, please don't join them. Because you know what? Once you join that church, it becomes imperfect because you yourself are imperfect. So no perfect churches that we know. So here in the church uh, um, in Philippi, uh, these two, two popular women that I've mentioned, Idia and, and Sintiki, in odds, they, they are in a sort of conflict. They do not seem to be agreeing. And Paul is writing here an exhortation towards unity. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I will try just go through verse by verse or combine a few so that we go together. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
um, being one in spirit and of one mind. And being united here refers to being united in Christ. Paul here is talking about the intimate personal relationship that we have with Christ Jesus, our Savior. And he says there are some benefits of being united with Christ or in Christ. And here are the benefits. One, encouragement. There is comfort. There is fellowship. There is tenderness and there is compassion. And these were things that were present in the church at Philippi. But these things could easily disappear if they were not united. If they were not agreeing on many things, then these things would disappear from this church. Now, being called to be like-minded, the call by Paul to be like-minded isn't a call towards uniformity in thought, but the common disposition to work together and serve one another. I love how we are as a nation. People of different tribes, different colors. Yet, we we. We pride ourselves in saying, we, I'm a Kenyan. That we can be united. Though we may not agree with your politi- political persuasions, though we may not agree with this, we're still Kenyans and we can be of one mind. So be like-minded. You are agreeing, you're compatible, you are in harmony, and you are of the same mind you have the opportunity to mix with people of a similar mind. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, the the motto enemies of unity and harmony in the church uh, was selfish ambition and vain conceit. In chapter 1, we saw when Paul was in prison, he says, you know, there are people who are out there preaching, but they are preaching out of selfish um, persuasions or selfish ambitions. They're not doing it for the right reasons. You see, nowadays, people have a kind of a life or a lifestyle that they portray on social media. And then everyone wants such um, sort of a life. Then we start wanting such a life. We start wanting to outdo those people who had posted the initial post. And then you know how it goes. We get ourselves into not so holy ways of making that life a reality. We start getting ourselves into funny and suspect business deals. We start stealing from our offices, both resources and time. We start sacrificing relationships like family and people who matter in our lives so that we can pursue illicit relationships that will give us that extra shilling or that will give us those trips or those cars or that house. We get ourselves into a competition mode. I should say negative competition. We are more like, I have more likes than him or aha. I have more followers. I have more knowledge. I have more talent. I am highly gifted than this person. Looking for vain glory. You want to appear better than everybody else. Vain glory. Or you start demanding your way. In other words, just telling people, you know, I want the glory. You you are wrong. I am right. Timothy Keller writes in The Prodigal God, says many times we need to confess for doing the right things because we do the right things with the wrong motives. And we need to confess because we want to call attention to ourselves. We want to appear better 
done so and so. Selfish ambition, vain concept. Now here is the truth. Every person seated next to you or the person in this sanctuary is better than you in some way. Every person in this sanctuary is better than you in some way. They are ahead of you in some way. Now, if everybody is looking at everybody as better than themselves, what would happen? Everybody would be looking up and we all would be looking up. No one would be looking down on others. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Submit to one another, Ephesians 21. Submit to one another out of reverence uh, for Christ. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. What Paul is really writing here and saying is, forget about your self-esteem. It's not that important. Think of esteeming others. Now, this doesn't mean everyone else is superior or more talented than you. But Christian love sees others as worthy of preferential treatment. That you can treat others better than even you want to be treated. Yes, it's okay for you to, to, to think of yourself. But only if there is equal concern for the interests of others in what you're thinking. Now, like I gave in the outline, uh, Paul has themed this book with joy. And maybe it will be helpful for us to acronym joy and see what he wants us to think. Joy, Jesus, think of Jesus first, then think of others, then think about yourself. Let's have joy. Now, if you try to um, spell joy otherwise than joy, than J-O-Y, then it would be miserable. It wouldn't be joy. It would be something like yoj or you know. Something that is miserable. You do not know what it is. It would be miserable. Without joy, you may lead a miserable life. Now, the following five verses, uh, Paul writes and gives us the example of Jesus Christ and what we need to learn from him. Christians are called to have a Jesus attitude of self-sacrificing humility, of loving others. And Jesus indeed invites us to learn from him. And this is what he says in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, after washing his disciples' feet, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is inviting us to learn from him. And this is, this is what Paul writes from verse 5 through, I think, 8 or 9. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus being in very nature God, or if you may, 
Jesus being fully God did not cling to his rights and privileges that he enjoyed as God but he made himself nothing in other words Jesus emptied himself for you and for me now that doesn't mean he gave up his deity or his divine nature but he laid aside his glory and submitted to humiliation of becoming a man he took and demonstrated the very nature of a servant when we read in Matthew chapter 20 and he was submissive to the will of the father he was so humble that he became obedient to the cross now dying by crucifixion was the most degrading and humiliating way to die in those days now i don't think there was another law in this day than dying on the cross but jesus took the degradation jesus took the humiliation for you I remember when I was in college there was a new student um you know a new class was reporting and there was a new student once he got to the school gate uh, he found a man and the man offered to help him he told me oh I can I can help you uh, to the lobby where, where new students are gathering and he took the bags and carried the bags for this new student and uh you know the new student was like okay I need to go to Uh, do you have a kiosk here i need to grab you know water or something i said oh yeah sure sure i can i can actually bring you the water so this other man went and brought uh, this new student water so after that he was like okay i need i need to where is the registrar's office and um this man took him to the registrar uh where is uh, you know the boarding section or wherever i need to pick uh, either my blankets so and so so on um, and he was taken uh there and then finally said i want to see the principal of this institution of this college and the same man who has been serving this new student took him walked him to the administration block and opened the principal's office and invited the new student to have a seat and then this man took went round the table and took the principal's seat and then he told this man um welcome to scott I am the principal here. And this new student couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that the principal of this institution could come this down to be able to welcome people at the gate to carry their bags, to even go get water for them, show them around. Yet remain the principal of the institution. Humility, denying yourself the privileges you may have for the sake of others. Verse 9 says therefore God exalted him therefore because because of what he did because he took such a humble de- uh, demeanor uh, he accepted to be that low therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that are the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is an undoubtedly the king of all. We see in Hebrews 1 says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Revelation 1, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is, this is the man, the king of kings, the lord of lords. This is the man who gave it up for you and for me. He's the one who said, I want you and me to be reconciled back to God. So that we may find forgiveness. So that we may have eternal life. This is the man, the king, who said, I will, I will die such a shameful death for their sake. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes or his good purpose. Now, it's important to take note of what this verse says. It says, work out your salvation. It doesn't say, work for your salvation. No, those are totally different things. Work out your salvation and work out for your salvation. You see, you cannot work for your salvation. Salvation, as we read from scriptures, is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot work for your salvation. But he says, work out your salvation. You see, I go to the gym regularly. Um... Yeah, I, I, I can feel and see the disbelief in your eyes. But I go to the gym on a regular to see my friend Tony. So you see, when you go to the gym, you're going to work out. You're going to sweat it out. You're going because you want to get some resort after your time in the gym. You want to keep fit. You want to keep healthy. You want a certain uh, body physique. You want to waste away some calories. Or as I hear, you just want to have a revenge body. I, I don't know what that means. Uh, but you work out. You put in the resources needed. You put in the time that is needed. You join the club. You join the gym. You start following a certain diet. You start doing certain disciplines. You start jogging to the gym. You start... You start um, taking the stairs and not the lift in buildings. You, you, you stop driving to the gym. I, I always find it funny that we, we drive to the gym. All right? But you see, you put in the work so that you achieve what you desire. Here we are called to work out, to put in the work. When is the last time you did your daily devotional? in the morning or in the evening or during the day? When is the last time you had a quiet time? When is the last time you fasted? You denied yourself the physical to be filled 
with the spiritual when is the last time you engaged with your small group with your community life group you attended a men's fellowship a women's fellowship have you ever invested in some good christian literature that you read when is the last time you ever watched a christian movie or you paid for a christian conference or seminar work out exercise your salvation 1 Corinthians 9 says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that would not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever now there's this word i'm sure you've you may have heard of it it's it's active active passivity it's where you are not directly making something work out but you actually are doing something for that thing uh, to work think of a bicycle you know when when you're cycling you know and the bike has to move what what actually makes the bike move is it your cycling or is it the chain or is it the bearing um that are on the last tire all right or the rear tire um think of the lamp the lamp of the bicycle what makes it light um yeah there is a bulb there but you must do something you must pedal you must cycle so that there is some energy that gets into the dynamo and there is some energy that moves from the dynamo to make the bulb light work out take responsibility that you ought to take now there's this conference that i hear about i Um, I'm not sure whether it actually happened but there is this uh theological conference that I hear um happened and theologians actually went to argue about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin imagine theologians pastors water they are in a conference arguing about how many angels can actually dance on the head of a pin yeah i wouldn't there be weightier matters for them to discuss and to discuss yeah but maybe maybe i can't blame them because even today uh, in our current world there are such conferences happening i don't know whether you've had some of these debates and arguments and you go like huh what what were they discussing again issues around abortion issues around vaccines evolution sexuality uh, the lgbtq plus question equality and so on and so on different issues and some of these arguments may be boxed by Paul to be foolish and stupid Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2:23 don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels but avoid foolish controversies he writes in Titus um do not but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless there are arguments there are discourses that are just um uh, stupid and foolish and i'm not the one using those words it's the bible they are just foolish and stupid because they they are not going to change who god is and what he decided and what he will do they will not change who god is 
Now, instead of grumbling and complaining, we are called to be blameless and pure without fault. This tells me these two things are actually connected. Grumbling and complaining on one side, and then on the other side you have blameless and pure. This doesn't mean the absolute or sinless perfection. It just means um, a wholehearted and mixed devotion to doing God's will. That instead of me being uh, a grumbler, if there's anything like that, a complainer, I can be someone who is blameless and pure. Someone who has an unmixed devotion to God and his will. So the Bible, um, it shows us, it gives us uh, uh, two examples, you know. But before I get to the example of Timothy, um, Jerry Bridges writes and says, It is time for us Christians to face up our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be well if we stopped using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. When I say I am defeated by some sin, I am unconsciously um, slipping out from under my responsibility. I have to take my responsibility and do what I need to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in the Sons of God and says, The Holy Spirit is in us. He is working in us and empowering us, giving us the ability. The Holy Spirit is working in us both to will and to do. It is because I am not left to myself. It is because I am not absolutely I'm hopeless since the Spirit is in me that I am exhorted to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the work. God works in you to direct you to what he wants to do in the working. But you have to be part of the play. Play your role. And your role is to obey. Now, how or why do you what you do? Simple. Because you desire to do it. Um, the psalmist tells us, and shows us in Psalm that says, says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, if you're not delighting in the law of the Lord, or you're not delighting in the Lord, then do not follow the desires of your heart. You know why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So if you're following just what is in your heart and your heart is not in the Lord, um, your heart is deceiving you. It's deceptive. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think I mentioned this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Don't we find ourselves arguing and complaining about different things? I'm taught I do not argue or complain a lot, but I occasionally do grumble. I do complain about, you know, things were not done the way I expected. Or when I have to clean after someone, you know, I, I complain when held up in traffic. I complain when politicians, this politician wants to make us believe that he is better than the other politician, yet they are of the same cloth. I, I, I complain when, you know, fuel prices and the cost of living is just going high and high. You know, I was talking to a friend and she was like, yeah, you know, you know, complaining actually loves company. And when you start complaining and arguing, you find yourself spiraling to other things and you even walk further from the truth. Now, one of the dangerous heresies that was present in the first two centuries of the church was a heresy called Gnosticism. Now, its central teaching was that spirit is entirely good and matter or, uh, or body is entirely evil. Now, one of the errors that they taught was that salvation was an attempt to escape from the human body, which is matter, which is evil. And salvation couldn't be uh, found in Jesus Christ by faith, but only by special knowledge. This was such an heresy because salvation, like I mentioned, is a gift. It's a gift from God and we believe by faith. We get it by faith. Now you can be sure such a heresy would bring about a lot of debates and a lot of arguments. Okay, and I think I've mentioned one of those debates whether how many angels can dance on top of an angel. And Paul writes and says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. So instead of grumbling and complaining, we are called to become blameless and pure without fault. So two examples, two other examples that we see um, in unity and humility of serving God. One is Timothy. Now, Timothy helped Paul establish the church at Philippi. He served with Paul. He did not serve Paul. He served with Paul. Though Paul was high-ranking, we may say, um, Timothy did not serve under him or below him. He served with him. Then Timothy did not look for his personal interests, but for Christ's interests and for the interests of others. And then the other example that we see uh, in the last part of the chapter is the life of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church, the church at Philippi, to Paul. And he became, Paul writes and says, he became a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He's someone who became so close, who partnered with Paul. And Paul even wrote and said he gave of himself, you know, unreservedly to help the Philippians. I mean, to help Paul the way the Philippian church would, would help. Okay, so we are called to serve God. And he says, let's serve with one mind. Be of like-minded, you know, be of one mind. Be united. 
work together, serve together. And then as you do that, be humble. Be humble as you do that. Consider others better than yourself. And what are the examples that we learn from? One, from Jesus Christ. He, being God, did not negotiate or debate with God. He took a lower level of becoming a man to die for us. Such humility. He even obeyed obeyed God up to the point of dying on the cross. A shameful, a degrading, a humiliating death. Okay? And then we see from that, he's exalted high and seated on the right hand of the Father. Then we see the example of Timothy, who helped establish the church of Philippi, who served with Paul, and who always looked for the interest of others and the interest of Christ. And then the example of Epaphroditus, who was sent by the Philippian church, who became a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Do you live and serve as the worship team comes? Do you live and serve in unity with others? Do you agree with them that even disagree with you? You know, I like saying, I can disagree with you, but you're still my friend. We can still work together. We can still do this together, even when we disagree. All right? Um, Are you humble? Or are you filled with pride in your life that you cannot serve? Pride keeps you away from serving with one another and serving one another. Then what can you learn from the lives of these three men, from the life of Jesus Christ, from the life of Timothy, from the life of Epaphroditus? Let's all rise as we close.